For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. We're back. Hello, Dan. Good to be back. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, we don't usually take a whole month off in the middle of the fall, but we had the election. We did. We had a little bit of a break election. Jewish and holidays, holidays, secular holidays. And anyway, so here we are. And uh, we're back next week as well. So we're going to fall into that regular schedule Monday nights at 7 here on CJAD. And on the program, we're going to talk about snacking with uh, Leslie and Nick from Snack Bar Company, Midday Squares. Absolutely. It's a company that started a little over a year ago. The concept was even before then. And they saw a void in the market. And uh, Dan, they brought some samples. We always like samples. Excellent. We're going to munch on on that during the uh, during the program and hear about their great story. Some great young entrepreneurs with a ton of life and energy. Michelin Mayette, also our HR specialist, will be on later in the program to talk about small businesses and how to compensate employees with the rules and etiquette there. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but first, as usual, news and notes and my piece of my, my my advice request from Josh because I like doing that. I like taking advantage of your expertise. Here and uh, take advantage of me, Dan, <laughs> as much as you want. It's been a month, so you know it's been a while. Uh, so one thing that um, that I wanted to bring up was workflow software or organizational software. I, I can't uh, I can't say the number of times over the years where I've had either contributors to the company or clients really try to rope me in to to sign up for Asana or Slack or Trello, or one of these myriad organizational softwares that are supposed to keep you more organized. Um, I want your take on this, Josh, because I tend to resist this, and sometimes I actually have to say to my clients, can you please not loop me in on any of these software programs? Because it tends to generate more email and more work for me, as far as I'm concerned, and I wonder if it's not just, these things are just not another app, uh, another app that makes you kind of stay on the app for as long as possible. They're, they're more than an instant, instant messaging system. Uh, and I, I think you're on the right track. I think if you use one, maybe two, if you absolutely have to, you can stay organized because you can use Slack. You know, I'm, I'm probably on Slack more than any of the others mentioned. I tried Trello once, didn't really stick. Uh, but you, you have to use it more. You have to have a lot, of, uh, a lot of people on it and a lot of uses for it so you get comfortable with it. So I tend to use Slack more than anything else. And truly, it's great when it's you're coming to organize uh, an event or you're you're trying to you know have a bunch of people around that you're in different locations uh, and it definitely speeds up communication and you can do a lot of a lot of things with it that being said it does take up time and you do still have to be organized that software in and of itself is not going to organize you it will help keep all the discussions in one place it will help keep all the threads and ideas within that group in one place but if you're not organized to begin with, and you have all your files and everything everywhere, this won't necessarily help you. But certainly, there's no question if you use three or four or five of them at once, that for sure won't help you. So I am I like them. I think they can definitely help. I think it's faster than email, than copying everybody and bloating up your email box. Mm. Dan, I'm sure like like me, your email boxes can just absolutely Nutty. grow un, unreasonably. So this definitely helps, but one, you know, if you can, mm. it's tough when you're in a service business, you have a lot of clients, but if you can guide them all to one, that that's definitely 
a better way to go, I think. The, the Your marketing pro at FL, Marjorie Valsan, gave us a, a good tip on this as well in, in, in an email earlier today. She said, you know, if you're not going to use it obsessively or like really diligently, don't use it at all because they're meant to be used in a really diligent way. So if you, if you know you're going to only stick with it once in a while, don't bother. It's like any software, any application. If you're only going to use it once in a while, you're not going to get comfortable enough. You're not going to be efficient using it. Yeah. And again, the paranoid part of me is, is thinking, well, these apps, really, they judge their success on a technical level by how much time we spend on them. So... Are they really interested in saving me time? I'm not sure. I don't know, but that is the goal. That is the goal, and if it's used properly amongst the group, it could save definitely some time. All right, some news and notes. Let's start with this article from Inc.com. Five questions uh, that most people, uh, interesting people, will ask in conversations. And this was this article. I mean, it's it's a you know it it talks about a lot of different things. But for me, what really stood out is not everybody has the ability to do small talk. You know, Dan, you you know, we all email, we all try and get out and you yourself and your business, my myself and my business, we get out there, we have to go to cocktails or we end up at our foul up events uh, every now and then, which is coming up again. Uh, and like, what do you talk about? There's only so many times you want to say, well, talk about the weather and talk about everything. So I think it's, it's really some questions that you can ask that you can put in your repertoire that are a little bit more interesting. Now you have to be ready to answer them yourself if it's thrown back to you. But still, like if you just, and they're open-ended, the yes-no questions, try to avoid those. But something like, like, what's your story or where do you come from? You know, that that's something that leaves people a little bit open to, to ask you something. Like, I mean, you do have to be a little bit more comfortable because some of these questions are a little bit out there. So you might not start with that. But, but certainly the interesting questions, you know, what makes you smile when you wake up in the morning or throughout the day? They sound like pickup lines, Josh. <laughs> well, Dan, isn't that how we first met? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, but but it's, it's really, it, it does, let's just say it'll lead to more interesting conversations than, yeah, I got to go change my snow tires before December 1st because of this crazy weather. Mm. And if you really want to be a little bit more memorable, then start asking some of those questions. And I would say don't drag it on and and show a little bit of your emotions. Be aware of your body language. I mean, the, the topic itself, we, we can talk a long time, but uh, I, I, would, I would just add one thing. Listen more than, 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 you, than you talk. Uh, be a giver, not a taker. This is also an interesting uh, article from Inc.com about sort of um, approaching your company culture as something that you have to brand like a product. And it's really about, you know, we keep talking about the talent wars. If you think about your culture as a product, because people constantly improve their product. I want, we're talking about midday squares today. We'll listen to how many iterations and versions and, and improvements they try to make on their product before you get it out there. If you actually took the time to treat your culture and get that out there and be a little bit more unique and, and answer maybe some voids in the marketplace, think about the talent that you could, that you could attract in such a difficult marketplace. So that, that's where the, the concept of treating your culture like a product, if you spend as much time on your work environment as you do on what you're selling, uh, you can definitely attract some phenomenal people. Now, uh, a few years ago, we used to talk about all these business articles about millennials, how to understand millennials and all of that as the, as an emerging consumer group. Well, now we have to start stereotyping Generation Z. And here's another one from Inc.com. Uh, three simple tips leaders need to know to keep them from leaving. So how do we how do we hook in Gen Zers? 
Well, we all know. So Gen Z, just so everybody is aware, it's it's from I think '96 to 2010 they were born. Um, although it's you know that's the specific dates, but I'm sure there's a little bit of looseness on each end. And they they want to be involved. There's they grew up in a technology world. They grew up in an information age. Uh, they their minds race. Uh, they need to they need to they maybe were a little coddled or not. They need to feel included. So what do you do as an employer? Check in regularly. You know, don't don't ignore them. Make them feel that they're part of the team. Discuss, discuss, and it's a little fluffy. I get it. You know, their emotional well-being. How, you know, how's it going? You know, how was your day? I like, can't say I love that part, but I understand if you know your audience, right? And, uh, and of course, no question, the group of technology, invest in those tech tools that have a really good user experience. They're going to appreciate working in that company. Finally, real quick, uh, from entrepreneur.com, how to be funny in the workplace. Are you sure we're still allowed? You know, that's a that's a tough one, Dan, and because humor, it, not everybody's good at humor. Not everybody can deliver a joke very well. Uh, not everybody knows the circumstances and knows their audience. You know, um, getting into a group of guys and discussing flatulence is not necessarily funny to everybody. Know your audience. Be a little bit, you know. Be uh, use use it with purpose. Um, and and what's actually important is if you're going to use it in the workplace and you're not a credible employee, if you don't if you don't like know that that people work hard and you have great knowledge, using humor to deflect might not work so well for you because they might just think you're slacking again. Also, everything you say can be tweeted, so do keep that in mind. Everything you say can absolutely <laughs> be tweeted. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk to the folks behind Midday Squares, Leslie Carls and Nick Sartorelli coming up next. We'll talk HR as well later in the program, compensation for employees of small businesses and how to navigate that. Uh, but first, snacking with Leslie and Nick. That's next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we welcome to the studio Leslie Carls and Nick Sartorelli of a snack bar company, Midday Squares. Welcome to CJD, guys. What's doing, guys? Thank you. What's going on? I've actually been excited to do this. Uh, you know what, I, Nick? I, I've heard, I heard you've been super pumped. You email me super pumped. So we're really looking forward to this. I am pumped. I am He's pumped. I'm not gonna pumped. lie. I'm always pumped. It's all those chocolate bars. It's, I was gonna say it's a chocolate high. No, no, no. It's a natural high. We're yeah, say. it is absolutely. So uh, again, thanks for being with us, Nick and Leslie. Pleasure. And uh, first question, easiest question. This is a lob ball. Uh, or a slow pitch. Uh, we're still in the World, World Series, right? Except yep. it's not underhand. Um, what is midday squares? That's I'm going to take that one. Go ahead. Um, honestly, super simple. We thought about it uh, long and hard, and we really always said, what would it be like if Hershey started a chocolate company today? And if Hershey started a chocolate company today, it wouldn't look like Hershey's. And that's really what Midday Squares is, is uh, how do we take chocolate, make it functional, use super clean ingredients, give you a little bit of protein and a little bit of fiber. And that's really the uh, ethos of Midday Squares is making just amazing chocolate products that are healthy for you. Now, what were you doing before? Were you in the food business? I wasn't in the. I was actually a software engineer uh, prior to this. I was working in the industry for almost seven years, and Les was in fashion. She was a fashion designer in New York City. So the natural route is to get into a chocolate company. So how did, how did what, where does the thought come? Where was the aha moment? Les, that's so, you. She's the she's the queen behind it. 
Well, pretty much Nick and I, before we got married, we lived with each other as roommates, actually best friends. And uh, he used to eat all this crap in the uh, afternoon. And I love food. I'm a huge foodie. Uh, I'm always in the kitchen. And I just said, let me just make you something a little more healthier. It's not less sugar, but it's going to taste better. And he's like, do it. So I created him a version of the Midday Square. A year before Midday Squares even came out. We didn't even know that that was going to be the thing. Um, and then I think as it was starting to get traction with people, like we were making people taste it, uh, after I, I had the good fortune of selling the company, um, that I was with and I had a two year non-compete and basically I was looking for my next gig and we, we, I, I saw something there and I asked her one morning while we were eating eggs. I'm like, I think we should do this full time. Like but the uh, thought came in the shower. Yeah. I thought came in the shower <laughs> <laughs> and we won't go there. Yeah. We won't. No, but I do, I do my best thing in the shower for the record. Facts. <laughs> Now you ha- now you you know you have you have a this product that you're making you did it at home but you have to perfect it for the market. How many recipes do you go through before you actually find the right ones? So when we decided to launch a product, um, obviously there's you know a product that you eat at home and there's a product that you need to present uh, commercially. So we did about I would say seventy I think trials. It was 78, 78, yeah, seventy eight trials prior to launching the mar- uh, the bar to the market. But I remember on the last trial we were in our apartment and Nick was on the computer and I was making a batch and I you put looked it in over. My mouth. I remember perfectly. I looked at him and I'm like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Why?" I'm like, "Get over here." gets over i'm like this is it and he eats it we put our mouth and like it's it's it was the one i mean this is the fudge that you guys know today (laughs) exactly that that is the one so during that process what were you guys looking for that was not out there already from your competitors yeah so i think um honestly uh the the chocolate space is was a weird space because everybody that was doing like the vegan protein bars um or was in that space was really focused on bars that didn't use chocolate as the primary uh ingredient and they were using uh not real chocolate so what that means is usually super high sugar base and a chocolate that has below 50 percent of actual chocolate mass like cocoa and cocoa butter and then everybody that was in the chocolate bar space doing these like interesting chocolate products uh were not using function at all so they had no protein component no no, no fiber. fiber no nothing um, and the aha moment really was when I was looking at a study that my cousin had given to me cause he's in the, um, M&A space for food. It was like, it was super obvious. Um, real chocolate was growing at 42% year over year and it was a super mature, mature market. Um, and the vegan protein bar, mar- uh, vegan protein, sorry, not the p- protein bar market was growing at 36% year over year, super ch- mature market. And nobody had created a baby of the two categories. That was what happened in the shower. That was my aha moment. Now you're 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 building this this brand. Do you do focus groups? Like, did you test it out, or you just uh, really went to market? So, no, no, yeah, no. We did we did focus well, groups, we but did, not like traditional focus. Yeah, groups. exactly. We did a lot with family and friends, obviously, but at the same time, McGill. we also worked with McGill exactly, and uh, we we worked with some of their food scientists, and we held uh, uh, groups in McGill um, in their program. Up to thirty and, people. Yeah, up to thirty invite, people yeah. at a time, and it was incredible. We had really good feedback. So would you say this is was part of your marketing research and marketing efforts? Yes. Um, what I will say, which is super underrated, and I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, uh, I've been on both sides of it, being an advisor and being an entrepreneur many times. I've swung and missed, trust me, a lot of times. Um, a lot of time, you just have to go with what really works for you. And I think what Les and I set out from the beginning was to create a product that spoke to us, both from a brand perspective um, and also just satisfied our taste buds. We knew we'd find more people like us out there. 
that was kind of it. So what did you do for marketing though? How did you get the name out there? <laughs> well, we he's not other, here. Other yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Rover's not here. Um, shout out Jake. Shout out Jake. Rover. That's our third like, partner. Tell him a little bit about um, that experience and all. Yeah. So um, Jake has this thing about him. Uh, he's able to attract people. He's able to um, just get things out there. I mean, it's... it's. Long story short, we saw Jake for two years build a clothing brand from nothing. Um, he doesn't necessarily have the operational sense, and it's fine because we've spoken about this a lot of times, but man, does this guy know how to make people want to engage yeah. with a brand. And we saw it from yeah. afar happen. So what does he years. do to do that? He goes, man. He goes to university. Yeah. He gets in your face? He gets it. He's yeah. out there. Guerrilla Number one, uh, Jake taught me that you should, We, I, I, you know, it's funny, I'm not wearing it, but we usually are always wearing our brand. Uh, that's something Jake taught us. You just wear your brand at all mm-hmm. times. When I'm on airplanes or I'm at clubs or anything, or I always have a bar on me. Um, and you just, you got to build that network. And Jake taught us that the number one way to build a community is to continue building a network. And uh, it took us three months to convince him. He actually didn't want to join the company. Uh, but we convinced Jake to come be that third founder because we know, uh, her and I knew that we couldn't do this on our own. That's not our forte. You mentioned Rover. That, that Jake is is a rover. What, what does that mean, and how is it how has it helped you guys? Yeah, so if you actually look at the definition of rover on Google, it's like he who wanders the field with no specific position, <laughs> and that really is Jake. I no, think, nobody wanted to work with him. Is that what you're trying to say? No, at all. Everybody wants. <laughs> no, to no, work no. With Jake. He's been fired from every area within our company, and we love him. <laughs> but he is the rover, right? I, I, I think founders have this misconception that you need to be a manager or you need to yeah. enter into an executive management role to found a company, and that's just false. And uh, Jake has no management role to company. Nobody reports to him. His sole objective is to be out there building a network for midday squares, and he does an incredible job of doing so. That's what a rover is. And getting into different aspects of business and questioning it. Yeah, and Jake, Jake, yeah, and like Jake gets on an Air Canada flight, and he hands, hands out, out bars. bars. Um, Jake, that's just Jake, right? Nobody, he, he here's goes, the facts. Nobody knows the customer more than Jake yeah. and nobody knows the retailer. Yeah. Facts. I want to meet this Jake. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks. Got Leslie Carl, uh, Carls and Nick Sartorelli from Midday Squares. More with them on the marketing plan on the HR side in a little bit. Plus we'll talk with Michelle Mayette on HR and compensation for employees of small businesses. That's all on the way on today's entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we're chatting with Leslie Carls and Nick Sartorelli of uh, snack bar company Midday Squares. And Josh, uh, they're both very young, been doing it for a couple of years now. They both made career changes already. And uh, this product is uh, is taken off. So how do you... Absolutely. And so the question is, like, how do you uh, organize yourselves in a, in a way that is sustainable when you're so new and young? First, uh, real quick, guys, uh, remind us your roles because you're three partners, but you you sort of float around a little bit. What are your jobs? Nick, do you want to start by saying what you do at the company? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I operate. I, I I hate saying it at this stage, but I'm the chief operation officer. Uh, but I, I really try to operate the business, keep it moving forward, keep us hitting our goals. Uh, really, everything from um, product in to product out the door kind of falls under mine. Les has been our uh, incredible leader. I mean, yeah. she's great at managing and she, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah. I uh, manage uh, production, manufacturing, R&D, 
And I'm really focusing these days on building out our new plant and building out all the automation. I mean, and a lot of the creative direction comes from and, you. Yes. Well, I do. And then we have Jake. And then Jake. Jake the Rover. Jake the Rover. Jake the Rover. <laughs> we really work on dividing and conquering. I mean, that's really important to trust in each other and, and do these tasks. But there's definitely some overlap. And, and you guys, you still have your, your meetings every now and then instead of flying, right? There is 100%. Some, yeah. So let's let's talk about manufacturing. I mean, this is a food product. There's regulations to follow. There's, you know, certainly quality assurance. There's so many things that go into it. Uh, what are maybe some of the things or lessons you've learned, Leslie, in manufacturing this great product that I'm trying not to chew while I talk to him. So it's very good. So manufacturing is very tricky. Uh, it has been um, a wild journey. Uh, QA is one of the most important things about manufacturing. Quality assurance. Quality assurance. Um, you need to make sure that at the end of the day, you're shipping your customers uh, safe um, product. And Have you had to put it in special machinery? So you, you do need to have it go through either a metal detector or x-rays, but you need to also have critical point uh, control. Uh, we have a QA tech in-house, and we also have a uh, senior QA that we work with. And you just, every single morning at 6.30 a.m., she has to come in. She has to do her full check. Uh, she checks the whole facility, goes through everything, checks all the um, appliances. I think I think just know that if you're buying your food in a grocery store, you're getting very safe product. I mean, yeah. The regulations are super intense. Everything has to be documented yeah. every single Tons day. Tons of we programs. Have you been traceability. inspected? Yes. yes three yes. times. Yes. Surprise. Yes. So we have, have, you, have you found any craziness? I mean, it never entered your product, <laughs> but... Well, we did. We had a situation where we found a rock uh, in some of the raw materials. And so we actually called the supplier right away. We spoke with their QA. They picked up the product and we had them sift through everything two times. Uh, so we, we're, we're very, very vigilant on... And our team's incredible. And our team's incredible, 100%. Yeah, so... So now when you're you're manufacturing the product and you have this brand new product, there's, there's nothing maybe out there exactly like it. What do you do for pricing? How do you figure out your price? I, I'm a big believer on working backwards. I always have been. I mean, before we even started the company, uh, I forced her to come to many different Whole Foods with me. We actually started in Ottawa. Then we drove to a few in the, whole, uh, in the U.S. Um, we first started with finding out where we wanted to live in the grocery store, doing a price analysis of where what the prices were. And then we kind of worked ourselves backwards into making sure uh, that our pricing model met what that price, you know, the category that you're in, in the grocery store dictates the price. Put it this way. If you're in one section versus another section, it can change the whole game. So we backed out into the price. That's how we did it. And where? so where are you located? Where's your product today? It's it's the new category that's really, it's the fastest growing category in both the U.S. and Canada. It's natural refrigerated, meaning uh, the refrigerated space is growing. It's 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 fo growing 40% year over year for the grocers. Um, and they're putting a ton of product that wasn't typically found in a, in a fridge in there. Is it tough to get into the stores? No, I, yeah. I, I would say yeah. we haven't had um, much trouble to date. I think we've been, we had a great launch. I think launching in Montreal was the best thing that could have ever but happened. But I think here's, here's we, we did the show. If you're launching a Me Too product, which what I classify as a Me Too product, if you're just copying the guy next to you, you're going to have a very Not hard quite time. the hashtag Me Too. Though. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, not that. It's funny. I just let's just it. be clear about yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, if you're, exactly, let's be clear on that. If Fudge, you're, yeah. If you're, <laughs> if you're just going to the grocery store and kind of making an iteration of something that already exists, you're going to have a very difficult time. Uh, grocery stores are really looking for innovative products. And uh, we believe we uh, came to the market with something that was truthfully not there before. And uh, and the buyers have rewarded us with uh, with that 
innovation. Yeah, and I think it's also really important that when you launch something, to launch it to your um, your 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 reach, right? Your friends, your family, and see like that's how we really started yeah. is through your own social backyard. media, yep. your own backyard, your own backyard. and you know, so it was really nice. Tell me about the product design. Just looking at the package, uh, you go the minimalist route, but the one thing that stands out is the word "real." Is that something that you always like to emphasize in your marketing that it's uh, real stuff? Take it. No, yeah, yeah, well well real so exactly we are that's that is something that we we really So it started off it started off that we just thought that the chocolate Can you tell they're married? Yeah. <laughs> it started off that the chocolate was like we wanted to focus on us having real chocolate, but my my you know, Jake the Rover brought up um, we've actually integrated into everything that we do in marketing. Like yes. if you watch our social, it is real. I mean Authentic. we hide nothing, yeah. you see the good, the bad, the ugly. Mm-hmm. So it's been a staple in our branding. So we're gonna switch gears a little bit. And talk a little about the dollar side of it. Not actually the dollars themselves, but when you're getting this off the ground, um, you know, unless it's a lot of your own money or love money, there's got to be some financing. There's got to be people that are putting money in. When you're sitting and 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 because I presume there's some outside funds that are in here. Yeah. When you're pitching, who do you who are you pitching to, and does your pitch change depending who's in front of you? One thousand percent. So like. For starters, you need to start the raising process six months before you need that money. I can't tell you how critical that piece is because a lot of people don't buffer that in. Six months minimum. Um, And if you're speaking to a bank, the bank is going to look at your business entirely different than maybe um, a friends and family investor will look at it versus a venture capitalist, the way they'll look at it versus a private equity group. Um, And so what we did is we really tailored the narrative to be able to explain what we were trying to do from the point of view of the person that was sitting in front of us. Are there um, major differences? Can you pick out maybe one yeah, or two between them? Yeah, so like banks them? really are focused on um, what your cash flow is going to be. So what's the revenue going to look like? What are your projections? And does that back out into, let's say, the lending? And what type of assets do you have on? Uh, and they're very, um, let's call it Excel-oriented. Uh, whereas a venture capitalist is buying into a narrative more so. And so your pitch is really focused on... Uh, how could you convince the person at the opposite side of the table that this is a, a company that's going to be a breakout company? And that takes a lot more storytelling. No question. And and none of this is possible, of course, without, it's not just two of you. It's not just two of you or three of you with Jake. There is a team around you. How many people are you now? 22. 22 people. So you didn't go from zero to 22 at the drop of a hat. You did ramp up. Uh, was it difficult to find people? Uh, no, not at the beginning. I mean, when we first started, the most important thing was to have people to come help us make the product. Um, and so we found one person who then had a friend and that person had a friend. So that was really nice. Um, I think where it's starting to be hard to find people is now when you're looking for very specific roles. I think that the whole, um, the whole process to hiring is long and tedious. No question. Of course, then there's a culture because it's one thing to have five people around the table. It's another thing to have 25 people around the table. Uh, You know, you have, you know, you're going from informal to formal. Have you had to set in policies? How is that? You're scratching your head, Nick, or you're you're breathing. Um, What's been that challenge? I think that's been our biggest challenge is uh, how do you grow from... there's actually a great book on this called Blitzscaling that talks about uh, each stage of the company. And the first stage is family, and then I think it goes into tribe. Um, we're in the transition of a family. Really, what they're trying to say is everything is super informal, mm-hmm. personal. Mm-hmm. The lines are crossed like crazy yeah. where everyone's really like family um, to setting in boundaries, expectations, 
um, really result driven and humans hate change. Let's, let's just be honest with that. And so that transition of going from uh, family to uh, more formal has been extremely difficult, but it's something that's necessary. And, and Les has, has done an incredible job in leading because I'm not that great at that part. So Leslie, Nick, we'll have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a few minutes. And coming up next, a Michelin Mayette, HR specialist on how to compensate employees if you're in a small business. So that was those details coming up. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we're chatting with Leslie Carls and Nick Sartorelli of snack bar company Midday Squares. Their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur is on the way. But first, we welcome back Michelin Mayette from, uh, on the HR perspective from uh, FL. And uh, Michelin is here to discuss uh, compensation for employees of small businesses. Welcome back, Michelle. Hi, Dad. So it is tricky, Josh, especially when it's a tight labor market. You have to sort of pay attention to these things very closely. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? And is it getting tougher out there to compensate uh, uh, small business employees? It's not so much that it's difficult to compensate, but it's navigating that path. You know, it's how much should we be paying them? Should it be in relation to the profits? What role are they, what role are they occupying? Will they talk to each other and share their salaries with each other? Oh my gosh, that's the dreadful one. Uh, so, I, I mean, I can go on, but uh, Michelin's here. You're not here to listen yeah. to me on that. It's Michelin that's here. So Michelin, when, when, when we're talking about compensation of employees and small businesses, what are the first 800 things that come to mind? <laughs> well, I mean, often when businesses start, they kind of pay what they can to a certain extent. So um, they don't always have budgets for salary reviews and that type of thing. So I think, you know, at the beginning, it's something they pay what they can. When people ask for increases, they'll consider it and kind of give them um, as they see fit and as they can afford to do. And sometimes what happens is that practice can kind of stay for longer than it needs to. So as the company gets a bit bigger and starts to add structure, um, you know, oddly enough, even though people, you know, do work for a paycheck most of the time, um, sometimes it's one of the last things, actually, that small, medium-sized businesses will think of adding structure to. Uh, you know, I guess I'll turn quickly to, to Nick and Leslie. You know, how much thought do you put into your salary levels? Or you're just so busy building that you kind of, it goes a little bit by the wayside or it just goes by gut? It goes I would a, say li a little bit, a little bit of both. Yeah, a little bit of both. A little bit of both, yeah. But to answer your question, you're so busy building that you're not putting mm -hmm. um, as much attention as you should. We're just trying to go with what the market conditions are and to be honest i don't even think the market's right all the time and so michelin yeah. i mean in that in that aspect just the building on nick you know you go by the market but mm -hmm. is that truly right or you know and then you might risk if you're below market they'll go across the street somewhere so yeah i mean if you're not at market you have to see what else you're offering to people that are going to make them want to stay with you i think the most important thing is to actually look internally to make sure that things make sense because you know to your point before um, people do share their salaries and actually they say that millennials share their salaries more than anybody has ever done before so for it could be very natural almost to share how much you're earning with somebody else. So you can want to you make sure that internally it makes sense and you can kind of justify, even if it's not, you know, scientific, like a large company would be, 
but that you know if you put if you were to write everybody's salary up on the wall that you'd be able to you know explain the general thought process behind it can you have a policy in place that restricts them from talking about their salaries <laughs> for me that's more a question of like a personal choice I, I think it's really hard to impose that so i always like to assume people do share what about turnaround that's such a problem for the millennial generation and younger how do you develop mm -hmm. a policy that counters that phenomenon um, turnover. You, turnover. Did I say turnover? Turnover. Yeah. Turnover. Yeah. Turnover. Yeah. Yeah. Turnover. Sorry, turnover. yeah. Well, turnover. I mean, that's based on so many different factors that can impact turnover. Compensation um, can be one of them. So, I mean, if people feel that they're not being um, paid fairly, and again, there's nothing that they could see to compensate for that. The fact is, there's a million jobs out there. So, um, you know, they they can probably make more going elsewhere. But I can say that about almost any employee. So I, I always say any anybody can get, you know, a good 10, 10 to 20% more by going somewhere else. So what are you going to do retention-wise that's going to keep them there? Assuming that you're paying, you know, relatively well within the market, a lot of it is the work climate. So that they feel that they're part of something, that they're part of a purpose. I'd say especially with the younger generation, something that's very important. No, and generations play a difference, Nick. I think millennials get a bad rap for this. Actually, mm -hmm. I think uh, one. Of the, I think. I'm me, sorry. What generation are you? I'm a, I'm a millennial. <laughs> just just checking. Yeah, no, but I, I actually do want to say I really believe, um, yeah. like you know, even some uh, we're on the opposite end of that stick, right? Mm -hmm. We're an employer hiring employees, and some of, I mean, our employees are die hard. I just think that it's a competitive landscape out there, and you really have to offer something more than just a paycheck to keep people engaged in this day and age. And I mm -hmm. think that that educational piece is what's getting blamed on millennials. It's like, oh, we're not willing to put that effort into making it really engaging, and so millennials mm -hmm. are just bored and want to switch jobs. I actually have to say that I don't find it's bad that millennials actually prefer more transparency. They're kind of known for that, but I actually think transparency is good. So I find it actually forces people to think a little bit more sometimes about what they're doing to be able to explain it to people. So actually, personally, I don't actually think it's a bad thing. No, I agree. And listen, if, if the employers are looking for the next best idea and help to grow their company, mm -hmm. they have to share some information. So it definitely, definitely works out better. Yeah. Anything else on the compensa compensation side? I'd say also something I, I'm seeing that's very popular is profit sharing because a lot of companies sometimes are maybe not profitable at the beginning and they want to get to that point. Um, it can create a sense of ownership too within the employees. Again, that requires transparency also from the employers to a certain extent. But that's something I see, especially younger entrepreneurs putting in place um, more and more in their organizations. And the other thing I, I've noticed in, in certainly several clients is there's tenure, the number of years of service, and what you bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And just because somebody's been there for 10 years versus somebody that's been there three years doesn't mean that they don't, that they, they bring, you know, the 10 years bringing more to the table than the three year. Mm -hmm. So 100%. it's really something to evaluate what that person's doing. For yeah, them. for sure that the old mindsets of, you know, you get a certain salary because you've been there for a certain number of years is definitely something that's going by the wayside today. I know. Thanks very much, Michelin, uh, and for your input, Nick and Leslie. Uh, it's definitely, it's, it's a touchy topic that for, for some entrepreneurs, there's no question. I think we could sit here for hours talking about yeah. this. We totally could. But as we reach the last moments of our shows we do each week, uh, we'll turn to uh, Nick and Leslie and ask you each, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Leslie, ladies first. Thank you. <laughs> um, my one piece of advice is don't be scared to go out there and, and do what you want to do. Don't be scared to fail. It's okay to fail. I've failed many times. Um, and it's okay to pivot. Um, just go out there and try to create something for you. And if you create something for you, 
there's a good chance that can succeed. Nick? I've been on the opposite side of what I'm about to say, so I can tell you. Um, basically, forge your own path. So many of us are trying to copy paths of success that have happened. I've been there, done that. And every time I've tried that route, it, it hasn't worked. And every time I've really forged my own path, our own path, uh, I believe what we're doing with Midday Square, success really um, it follows because you're 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 going down a, an uncharted territory. So really stick to your gut. Uh, don't try to copy and really forge your own path. Excellent. Thanks very much, guys. Thank uh, Dan, you the quick takeaways: uh, know your audience. Know if you're going to be in front of somebody. Know how you want to how you want to talk to them. And I love that guerrilla marketing. If you are developing a product, you believe in it, get it out there. Mm -hmm. Let the product speak for itself. All right, Leslie Carls and Nick Sartorelli of Midday Squares. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Thanks so much. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thanks to Michelle Mayette as well uh, with your HR tips. We'll see you soon, Michelin. And back next Monday night at 7 p.m. Josh. Dental care. Dentists. Yes, should be fun. Uh, today's Entrepreneur, don't forget todaysentrepreneur.org with over a decade worth of inspiring entrepreneur profiles, and we'll see you back here next week. Good night.